Revelation chapter 5. Then I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, Who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside it. I wept and wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside. Then one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. Then I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain, standing at the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. The lamb had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. He went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. Each one had a harp, and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of God's people. And they sang a new song, saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain. And with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth." Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels, numbering thousands upon thousands and 10,000 times 10,000. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders. In a loud voice, they were saying, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them saying, to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb, be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. The four living creatures said, amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Kids, I think you are the world's best storytellers. Sometimes when grown-ups tell stories, we care a bit too much about how we tell the story, what words we will use, what will make this a good story. And we can, in that effort, tend to lose some of our excitement about what the story is actually about. But kids, when kids tell stories, they can barely contain their excitement. Imagine, for example, that a child goes to a friend's birthday party and is telling you all about it afterwards. That story might sound a little like this. We went to Jimmy's house, and he's a puppy named Nesbitt, and he licked me, and I fell over, and Nesbitt climbed all over me, and Jimmy's dad had to get him off, and then we went swimming, and I jumped off the diving board, and I made a really big splash, and we pretended to be explorers looking for treasure, and we had to protect it from Jimmy's sisters who were pirates, and then we had hot dogs. 
I mean, that's a good story. Right? That's a really good day. And there's so much to pack in. There is so much to tell. It's a breathless story told at double speed, held together by more ands than you can count. We don't really notice this on a first reading, but Revelation chapter 5 is exactly this kind of a breathless story. The English translation tidies up the Greek a little bit, but in the original manuscripts, every single verse, except for verse 12, begins with the word and. And I saw on the right hand, and I saw a mighty angel, and no one was worthy, and then one of the elders said, and I saw the lamb, and they sang a new song, and then there were angels, and then every creature began to sing. And, and, and... In the Greek text, there are in fact 50 ands in these 14 verses. John can barely contain himself as he relates this vision that he has had. And what a vision it is. The book of Revelation is a book of visions. John, exiled on the island of Patmos, receives these visions, these revelations of the last things, the last days. These are visions of God's ultimate victory over sin and death. And the vision in chapter 5 is a continuation of the vision John receives in chapter 4, in which he is called heavenward and sees before him one who is seated on the throne. Just a couple weeks ago, Pastor Tom described this scene. You have God, the Father, the Creator, seated on the throne, surrounded by four living creatures and 24 elders, all exclaiming, you are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being." And then John sees something. This is where chapter 5 begins. He sees that the one who is seated on the throne is holding a scroll with writing on it. Now, to any first century Christian, a scroll would connote scripture, God's revealed word to his people. And so on this scroll, then, is God's word, his plan for the redemption of the world he created and its creatures. N.T. Wright says that this scroll contains God's secret plan to undo and overthrow the world-destroying projects that have already gained so much ground, and to plant and nurture instead the world-rescuing project which will get creation itself back on track in the right direction. There is good news in this scroll. Only, only there is no one worthy to open the scroll. There is no one in heaven or on earth who has not in some way contributed to the problems that are marring God's good creation. And so there is no one who can perfectly reveal the good news of God's redemption. John is so close to this good news, so close to this knowledge. 
but he's on the outside looking in. He doesn't know the meaning of what is written on the scroll. He doesn't know why the creatures around the throne are singing praise. It is not yet John's song to sing, though he longs to. He longs to be part of the story, to know what is written on the scroll, and that longing is enough to make him weep. This scene in Revelation 5 echoes a prophecy that Isaiah made hundreds of years before. In Isaiah 29, the prophet tells the people of Israel that the Lord Almighty will destroy her enemies and rule victorious. But Isaiah also says that this vision that he's had, this prophecy, won't be fully understood by the people. This whole vision, he says, is nothing but words sealed in a scroll, and no one is able to unseal it. For centuries, God's people held to the promise that God would defeat sin and death, that God would rule over creation as the one true God, that God would protect his people. But they didn't know what this victory would look like. They had their own ideas. The the prophecies they told and retold were full of images. But how to make sense of it all? how to fully understand what God's plan of redemption was. They needed someone to reveal what was written on the scroll to show them what God would do. So God sent someone. In John's vision, an elder steps forward and says, do not weep. Look, here is someone who is worthy and a new character steps onto the scene. This new character is first described in language rooted in Old Testament messianic imagery. In Genesis 49, Jacob blesses his sons and he calls Judah a lion's cub from which the scepter will never depart. So we have the Lion of Judah, and then the Root of David is an updating from the title of the Messiah in Isaiah 11, the Root of Jesse. So the one who is worthy is thus the victorious Messiah, mighty as the Lion, the true King of Kings. But when John looks up, he doesn't see a lion. He sees a lamb. A lamb that looks as though it has been slain. And that too carries messianic significance for the people. From the book, the prophecy in Isaiah 53, which tells us that the Lord's servant would be led like a lamb to the slaughter. There is no other lion in the book of Revelation. The only lion in heaven is, in fact, the lamb. The Messiah, Jesus, the Son of God, is worthy to open the scroll because he is triumphant both in his death and in his resurrection. In John's gospel, he tells us that the Son of Man was lifted up, by which he means he was lifted up in his resurrection and his ascension, but also was lifted up on the cross. You don't get one without the other. 
The victory of the lion is accomplished through the sacrifice of the lamb. And the sacrifice of the lamb is the victory of God over all things, the redemption of every corner of creation. Jesus' death and resurrection do not merely secure salvation for a few individual hearts. This victory is cosmic in scope. It is the redemption, the renewal of all things. By his death and resurrection, Jesus brings all of creation into the story of redemption. And so the lamb takes the scroll from the right hand of the one seated on the throne. This lamb is worthy to reveal to John, to all of creation, how God has and is and will redeem God's creation. And so the weeping of the previous scene turns to song. The four living creatures and the 24 elders around the throne begin to sing, and what they sing is a new song. At the beginning of this worship series, we looked at Psalm 96, which is our call to worship today, which begins with sing to the Lord a new song, all the earth. And here is that new song, new because it praises not just God the creator, as we saw in Revelation 4, but now also God the redeemer. This song praises the lamb who did a new thing, who revealed God's plan for the world by dying to save the whole world. And so brought the people he died to save into God's plan for redemption, making them a kingdom and priests who serve God by telling with breathless exuberance the story of salvation to all who will hear. And that exuberance carries the song further out. Angels, thousands upon thousands upon thousands, take up the chorus. They echo the song in Revelation 4, but now they direct it to the Lamb. And so the Lamb, the Redeemer, is recognized as being the same God as the Creator. The Lamb is victorious. The Lamb is Lord over all creation. So all creation takes up the song. This whole chapter makes me think of the flash mob my dad was a part of many years ago with Chorus Niagara. One person stood up in a food court mall, maybe you've seen this video, and they start singing the first line of the Hallelujah Chorus. And then two more people stand up and start to sing. And then four more people join them until eventually the entire choir is standing, singing the hallelujah chorus, praising God. So too is this song contagious. The elders, joined by millions of angels, who are then joined by every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea. God's victory over sin and death is, as we've said, cosmic in scope. And so the response of joy, of praise, is also cosmic. The whole of creation, says Frederick Buechner, is in on the act. 
The sun and moon, the sea, fire and snow, Holstein cows and white-throated sparrows, old men in walkers and children who still haven't taken their first step. Their praise is not chiefly a matter of saying anything, because most of creation doesn't deal in words. Instead, the snow whirls, the fire roars, the Holstein bellows, the old man watches the moon rise. Their praise is not something that at their most complimentary they say, but something that at their truest they are. Doxology, from the Greek word doxa, or glory, is our natural state of being, giving praise to the one who made us and saved us, with one breathless and after another. Worthy is the Lamb to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise from the living creatures and the elders and the angels and the creatures in heaven and the creatures in earth and the creatures under the earth and the creatures on the sea and everything. Because the Lamb has revealed that God's story of redemption includes everything. You and me and our bodies, and our minds, and our hearts, and our relationships, and our politics, and our jobs, and our neighborhoods, and every inch of this creation. That is the story we are told and are reminded of every time we gather for worship. Every time we enter this conversation with God, a conversation of praise and confession and assurance and prayer and dedication, every time we retell the story and hear the good news that even though we keep messing up and though we keep saying no to God, that God in Christ says yes to us, that God has brought us into the story of redemption. Eugene Peterson says it this way, the end result of the act of worship is that our lives are turned around. We come to God with a history of naysaying, of rejecting and being rejected. But at the throne of God, we are immersed in God's yes. A yes that silences all our no's and calls forth an answering yes in us. And that yes is our amen. At the end of this glorious vision, the four living creatures cry amen. The second century writer Justin Martyr tells us that in the early church, prayers always concluded with a vigorous amen from the congregation. What he says in Greek is an epouphemai, a shout in applause, which expresses, says Peterson, the conviction that not only would prayers be fulfilled by God in the future, 
but that the fulfillment was already present in Christ. 2 Corinthians 1 verses 20 says this, all the promises of God find their yes in Christ. That is why we utter the amen through him to the glory of God. So at the end of our worship services, we utter an amen to the glory of God. We lift up a song of doxology, of praise to the one who created us, the one who by his death and resurrection brought us into the story of redemption, the one who has made us a kingdom and priests to declare this story far and wide in breathless excitement. For this truly is the most incredible story ever told. Amen. Amen. Would you pray with me? Holy are you, Lord God Almighty, creator, redeemer, sustainer. Worthy are you to receive all the praise and all the glory. May we live in constant praise, every word and deed a grateful witness to your power and love. Help us carry your story of redemption to all who are longing to know that they too are part of the story. We long for the day when we gather before your throne with all of creation, singing of your power and might. Until that day, accept our humble songs of praise. Holy are you, Lord God Almighty. We pray this in the name of Jesus, who is the Lion and the Lamb. Amen.